Well, it's a special edition of Super High Sci-Fi Today, episode 39. Uh, it's going to be full of spoilers, just Grant and I today. We're talking about uh, Star Wars The Force Awaken, which we saw uh, last week. Uh, I guess since the rest of this is just going to be chock full of spoilers, Grant, do you want to give a 30-second opinion on whether or not people should see it? Yeah, I think people should go see it. I thought that generally it was pretty exciting. I had a good time at the theater. I'll say, though, that because we're going to review it in depth, that I ended up being pretty disappointed in the outcome of the movie after about the first 45 minutes to an hour in. But I feel like people should go see it, definitely. I think overall it was a pretty good entry into the Star Wars franchise. It's certainly much better than Attack of the Clones. How about that guy trying to eat nerds behind us quietly? Yeah, it's just another indictment of going to the the theater to see movies these days because, you know, seeing the movie on the big screen is really enjoyable and it's an experience that you can't get at home unless you're willing to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to recreate that experience. But people are just such insufferable ingrates so much of the time. It just, it almost cancels out the benefits of seeing something on the big screen. I just can't emphasize how many mouth-breathing idiots that were sitting all around us doing whatever with nachos and popcorn and whatever else they fucking sell at movie theaters nowadays. It was really, really... It took away from the movie because you were listening to people chomp on shit and like they didn't turn off their cell phones. So the the blue light from the cell phones was shining on you and stuff. Uh, the nerds guy killed me personally because he always picked the quiet scenes to eat them instead of doing it during like the enormous battles where you couldn't hear them. But yeah. I'd, I'd say go see it too. I mean, be prepared obviously for a theater going experience. If you love that kind of stuff, great. If you're like us and it's kind of, you're now old and have gray hair and are cranky and it doesn't really appeal to you anymore. And it makes you kind of angry when people eat candy loudly, then, uh, I don't know. It's up to you. But overall, I, I'd say that the movie was pretty enjoyable. Um, at the expense of getting into some spoilers, it kind of went off the rails for me around the two thirds mark, but, uh, I'd say go see it. So from this point on, the rest of this is just all spoilers. So if you don't know that Han Solo gets killed by his own son, now you do. Anyway, do you want to stop talking about how people are animals and talk about, uh, JJ Abrams and star Wars? Sure. Okay. I liked the beginning of the movie. Yeah, the, the, I really liked it. Yeah, the opening sequence is really strong. I mean, I think the thing that people should know about this from the get-go is that this movie is basically a creative rearrangement of Episode Four: A New Hope, and I'm being charitable there. This is basically this movie is basically a shot-for-shot remake of Episode Four, just in different orders and with some scenes from Empire Strikes Back spliced in there too. Yeah, they they stapled in some of the stuff from Empire. Right. But that, having said that, I, I agree with you. I really did like the opening scene. I thought it was really strong. Uh, the desert battle. I mean, finally the stormtroopers can actually hit things that they're shooting at. They're, they, you actually get the sense that they're deadly. And they're people. Yeah. They're not CGI globs of shit. They're people. Yeah, and it was just pretty cool where you know they recreated that effect from Episode Four with the big Star Destroyer coming over the screen and stuff, and then you got those little... Um, drop ships that they were using and sort of like when they 
blast into the blockade runner. You know, you, the doors open and they come out spraying blaster bolts and stuff. Right. I mean, that was the closest JJ could get without having them dock on another ship. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it worked really well. I, I liked it. Like I said, the first the first forty five minutes to an hour of this movie, I thought it was gold. I thought it was great, and it felt like you were in, you know, not specifically episode four, but like an original trilogy style movie. I I, mm, I don't know. I felt like we were in episode four for most of that because Princess Dameron puts the little the information about the Death Star, or I mean, sorry, Luke Skywalker into BB-8 and then runs off to get captured by Darth yeah. Vader. Like I said, it's a shot-for-shot <laughs> remake of episode four, but the feeling you get is it's original trilogy. It, oh, yeah. It feels good. It feels adventurous. I mean, it is interesting it's got the yeah. Star Wars feeling, unlike the prequels that are right. just like a little confusing. And you know, I'm and I'm not saying too that the opening sequences of the prequels weren't interesting. I thought all three prequel opening sequences were fairly interesting. I thought the uh, episode two is probably the weakest one because it was just like a ship blowing up. You and see, some I find that dying. one to be the most interesting. Because, because it jumps right into the political shit. Well, because the bodyguard <laughs> dies, but then she's on the couch later. When Anakin and Obi-Wan are talking to, to um, Sender Amidala. Okay, so but that's just like an error. The same moment still, yeah. I, but I choose to believe there's something else going on. Right, so it's like a temporal yeah. distortion or something. But like if we're just taking it basically on pure movie making, that was probably the most boring opening oh, sequence. Yeah, Episode sure. 3, probably the most exciting because it was a space battle. Episode one was kind of like a mix between those two because it started out really slow and people talking and then it quickly moved into, you know, they're trying to break into the bridge of the Trade Federation ship by cutting it open and fighting the droid decas. And, you know, when you haven't never seen that stuff before, it's pretty exciting. Back, I mean, back when I saw episode one originally, like that was a pretty cool opening because it was like the first time I'd ever seen Star Wars not on VHS Right, and yeah. so it's cool to see it on a big screen. And we should mention that we saw episode one in the theaters like three times. Yeah. I mean, you know, the mistakes you make when you're 10. Yeah. But this movie, yeah, I, I, I do like... The the troubling thing about the opening scene, the only troubling thing in, in this one, is that J.J., he, his recidivism for asking questions and then never answering them in a movie just for the sake of like being mysterious or whatever the old guy. Yeah. Who is the old guy? (laughs) And we know in real life who the old guy is. It's Max von Sydow, one of the greatest actors who's ever lived. And he fucking dies like five minutes into the movie. So I think they tragically, tragically wasted his contribution, you know, and we're left wondering who he is. Yeah. I, I, that annoyed me a little bit. I can't even begin to venture a guess on who he is. I mean, maybe Luke's butler from the Jedi Academy or something that he started, but... <laughs> yeah, just uh, who the fuck would that be? I don't know. Yeah, I will talk more about him later because I I have some ideas about what they should have done with him, but he... I mean, he shows up for five minutes, he kind of kicks off the plot, he dies. It's Biggs Darklighter. Old Biggs Darklighter. He didn't really he didn't die. didn't die. Episode, right. yeah, he went to another desert planet. Like old people go to Florida, so he has an a evil twin or whatever who, yeah, a doppelganger, right? Yeah, but I I do really like like you said the stormtrooper fight is interesting. Um, 
pretty strong in the beginning with the practical effects. Mm-hmm. Like the first 45 minutes of the movie, I think that's a big strength of it is the, the amount of practical effects. And they don't really rely on CGI too much until they get to um, where Ray and Finn escape from the planet on the, in the Falcon. Yes. Yeah. But before that, it's mostly practical. And I think they did a really good job of it. And that scene, I didn't think Poe was going to get away. I knew he wasn't going to get away. I knew he was going to be captured because it was our, the similarities were already starting. As soon as he gave R2-D2, or I mean BB-8, the Death Star plans, I mean, that was just like, oh, well. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, they introduced Darth Vader slash Kylo Ren here in the same manner they introduced Vader and I really liked him when they introduced him in this first scene. I thought that he was really menacing, and his character design is pretty cool. I like his mask a lot. Uh, the voice, I mean, I don't expect him to sound like James Earl Jones, but the, the voice is, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. But he does a really cool thing, I thought, where he, he uses the force to stop a blaster bolt that Poe fires in midair. And right. it's just hanging there the whole time they're having this conversation, and he kills Max von Sydow and takes Poe away and then only after they leave the blaster bolt hits the you know the moisture evaporator in the center of town or whatever it was yeah that was the only part of the opening sequence that troubled me I can't remember what he said but it was something that just sounded like too like but it's so easy or something like that it just sounded very pithy yeah I don't remember that all I remember really saying them saying is that like he's talking to the old guy, Von mm-hmm. and, you know, he says, oh, look what's happened to you. And he's like, you know, not any worse than what's happened to you or something. And so, like, clearly old guy knows Kyle, who Kyle Ren is or has some background with him. But, again, we're never told anything about that. And Maybe he's the knight from the Seventh Seal. He is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did like the part where... It's just some funny shit like Poe Dameron asks him, like, so do you You go first or do I go first? Yeah, I really like uh, Oscar Isaac in this movie. I think that there's like a, a couple moments where he's overacting a bit, but mostly I really like the Poe Dameron character. I think he's like a great addition to the Star Wars universe. He's my favorite of the, the new people. He's kind of like a gestalt of Han Solo and a lot of the pilots, X-Wing pilots and stuff from the first movie. Mm-hmm. Like, just... I mean, you listen to, like, the way they're talking during the battle and stuff like that, like, jiving each other and and also, like, you know, Han's attitude. I really like that they kind of blended all that together and actually came up with something very new in this guy. And, you know, if you read all the stuff that's the journey to The Force Awakens shit that Disney wants you to read to understand read this movie. No, and they shouldn't expect anybody to read that stuff. That's stupid. But if you do, you know, Poe Dameron's parents were in the rebellion and he has a whole backstory set up for him in that material. But I really like his character. He's very strong. I like BB eight as well. Yeah. You need like a funny, cute droid in the star Wars movie. And he takes over the, the mantle from R2 D two very nicely. He's pretty cool. But I think BB eight like actually has, He's got stuff to do, because I see where you want to make him the funny character, but then you have the risk of making him Jar Jar Binks, but then he actually is consequential to the plot. Yeah, and, you know, he has, like, a range of emotions yeah. and stuff, and he's a real character, and he the 
you know, the comic relief that he does is well-timed. It isn't constant, you know, like Jar Jar had to make a joke or try to be stupid like every or scene he was in. shit or right. try to eat apples with his tongue. Or get his tongue caught in the little, like, power um, field or between his, the His arm caught in the, the intake vent. Oh, yeah. Trying to yeah. get the wrench, the space wrench. Yep. Yeah, I liked the uh, my favorite BB-8 part was where he and Finn were arguing, where the, Finn's trying to convince Ray to that he knows where the rebel base is, and then he oh yeah, and he, he gives he, the little thumbs up. Yeah, with he the gives lighter. BB-8 the thumbs up, and BB-8 gives him a thumbs up, like with a plasma torch. Like, yeah, all right. Yeah, I kind of like where he sh- shocks Finn too. Oh, when they first he, meet him, yeah, he thinks Finn <laughs> killed Poe or something. He's got his jacket, right? Okay, yeah. Um, so I guess just to back up, you've already seen the movie, but I guess we're taking this in order. Or I hope yeah, you've already not? seen the movie. You're still listening at this yeah. point. But So Poe Dameron gets captured by Kylo Ren, who then takes him up to his sort of Star Destroyer. Yeah, it's like a new class of Star Destroyer. It just seems like it's it's open on in the middle for whatever reason. Well, I read about – there's like – you know some incredible cross sections books already for this stuff mm-hmm. and it's called like a resolver class star destroyer and so it was it's twice as big as an imperial star destroyer from the the original trilogy and mm. i guess they redesigned it to be less vulnerable to the like they didn't put the deflector tower things and the command part apart from the rest of the ship that's why it's flatter oh wow and it has side docking bays yeah, I know side guns and stuff. So it's like kind of a blend between what's in the original trilogy and the Star Destroyer type things you see in the prequels. Mm-hmm. So and I think the ship design is pretty like generally everything in this movie design wise is really good. I like the designs. I don't yeah. I think that it's just there's no way they can fail on that. That's just something Star Wars has always done really well. I, I like the designs, even the prequels designs. Yeah, the prequels were them. awesome, design-wise. It was just disappointing what they did with them. Right. Contrast to The Force Awakens, where I was actually pretty happy with a lot of what they did with their their new stuff. Yeah. Including uh, Grand Moff Tarkin there. Or, I'm sorry, General Hux. I'm just going to call them by their real, real names, yeah. not their slave names. <laughs> because yeah, we know who all these people are supposed to be. Yeah. And... I mean, when he gets up to the the, the Star Destroyer and, and stuff and he's being tortured and, I mean, all those scenes with Kylo Ren are, are pretty good. Like, he really he really comes off as very menacing when he's using the Force to probe mm-hmm. Poe's mind and really kind of just pull the information out of his head while Poe's screaming. Yeah, that was... I, I was expecting them to go for, like, the, the thing they used on Cloud City on Han Solo... The, yeah, it's like basically that's it's like he's the other facing up actually right. instead of down. <laughs> but I I guess they put that in there to subvert your expectation. Yeah, well I think that I I can't remember but in the movie I think that he said that or alluded to that they'd already tortured him with all that shit and he wouldn't break so then Kylo Ren comes in and he's going to break him by using the force with his mind powers, his Adam Driver powers. Right, where somehow, you know, he has to walk up and, like, massage your face, too, while he's, like, pulling the information out. Yeah, that was a little weird. Yeah. But, hey, I mean, it works. It also leads to the the Kylo Ren uh, smashing the control panels because he's really mad. Because they escape, yeah. 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 
which is cool because you're used to the dark characters in the movies being very uh, controlled almost like like palpatine is is really he's always in control i don't think he ever loses his cool throughout all six movies that he's in that's just like he's a planner and a plotter darth maul he's like contained rage and count dooku's i mean he's an old guy so he's all like tired anyway he's not gonna get out of hand and vader just seemed like he had like this quiet menace whereas kyle ren seems like because he's so inexperienced and he's not trained he's out of control so his emotions are just raging which is it's a pretty cool direction to take the evil character yeah i up to a certain point i think Yes, which we'll talk about. We'll get there. Cross that line they where he, line. he goes from being like a menacing, <laughs> unstable character to being an emo, yeah, shithead punk. Basically, Lincoln Park is definitely on his iPod, right? But, and um, Cap- well, I, okay, can we talk about Captain? I was saying we should, we should jump back to Finn because Finn and Poe arrive back on the Star Destroyer, whatever its name is. Yeah, the, together something. And Finn kind of panicked and froze in battle because he saw one of his stormtrooper friends die and he got blood in him. And he, I guess, broke his mental conditioning to be a killing machine. Yeah, it was his first battle. Right, it leads to his meeting with um, Silver Armor Captain Phasma, Phasma, who never takes off her helmet. So who fucking cares that it's the woman from Game of Thrones? Thrones. Yeah. My theory is that because they pimped her character so hard in the marketing leading up to this that most of the scenes she was in got left on the cutting room floor. Yeah, I think think that happened with a lot of shit in this movie, actually, because there's toys for characters that don't even appear in the movie. I... Now you say that it makes sense. I had thought they had her so prominent in the film, marketing aside, like they left her in there so people would know who she is, just so the... At the end, when they make her turn the shields off, people would be like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's like, you know, she's the gun in Act 1 that has to go off in Act 3. She would have the codes to turn the the shields off. Oh, I remember her from the beginning. Or the other other theory that is also plausible is that she's going to be a recurring character in this trilogy. You know, kind of like like Piet in the original trilogy or something. Which is cool. She's not a bad character or anything. It's just she's hardly in the movie for the amount that she was hyped. I really can't even judge the character because it's like maybe 20 lines of dialogue. Yeah. Finn, you're defective. Report for mental reconditioning. You'll never stop me, Han Solo. Right. She's basically an evil taskmaster. Yeah. And she in the movie for maybe five minutes total. And it's like, all right, that was cool. Bye. See, yeah. See you later. <laughs> So the pin, the, you know, when, I mean, we don't have to go through like every scene in the movie, but just basically like, so Poe and Finn, I like the escape scene too. That was kind of cool. Um, that was like where it approached a little bit of overacting, I think for Oscar Isaac and when they're like basically high-fiving each other in the TIE fighter, which yeah. I don't know if that was, I, I don't know if I would categorize that as overacting so much as that just seemed like it flirted too much with modern shane blackiness yeah like modern pithy dialogue and right it sounded like tony stark was talking to roadie uh, roadie yeah it sounded like that part (laughs) in iron man 3 where they're they're on like the shipping container fighting all of uh guy pierce's bad guys and they're shooting them with the pistols because it's just like yeah you see that yeah bro yeah or or the uh was it in the second one where they're 
they're fighting the Russian guy in the end, the end battle with the Russian guy. Oh, and the he's, robots. Like, he's like, no, no, Tony, you don't want to be down there. That's the kill box, man. That's where you go to die and stuff. And yeah, and they're talking <laughs> in the battle like you see that nice, nice, and using the lasers. Yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. So that 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 scene, it that was a little un Star Wars, right? So, but it generally worked out pretty well. It was still pretty entertaining. Yeah, and of course they get shot down because they're the escape pod from Episode Four, basically, and they're on the planet. Uh, yes, leading to a problem that comes up later. In the yeah, that's that's the <laughs> this is like one of the biggest problems. So, like Finn wakes up in the wreckage, and and everything with him is fine in that part. But it's like he tries to get Poe out of the, or he thinks Poe is in the Tie Fighter, and he's like trying to get him out, and the Tie Fighter gets swallowed by the sand. Mm-hmm. And then he, you know, there's no explanation for what happened to Poe, and then he just shows up like two thirds of the way through the movie, like saving everybody on that forest planet that they're on, and he's yeah. just like, "Oh, I'm okay. Don't worry about it." But not only does he show up <laughs> and just offer no explanation for what happened, other than I woke up in the desert at night and then I came back here. He also says, "Like, yeah, Finn, I knew you would complete my mission for me. I had complete confidence, so I didn't even bother to check up on what was going on." Yeah, that sounds like one of those neat little knots that J.J. and his buddies tied up in the script writing yeah. portion of this, and it just didn't work for me. It's like, no. When that happened in the movie, I was just thinking, like, okay, well, I mean, I guess, like, too late to change it now, but wow. But I'm thinking, too, like, okay, one, he wakes up in the desert. Uh, they've established by that time that Jakku is basically full of, like, thugs and rapists and bad people, like, he could have got, he just was, like, lying in the desert. He probably could have w- woken up and some guys, like, you know, bag or whatever, like the guy tried to capture BB-8 in the net or whatever, being taken yeah. to be eaten or something, and that would have been. <laughs> I would have bought that more than like, oh, he just woke up and then somehow he like dialed nine one one from the resistance and got. Especially because you got to think like the new order probably left a few people there to like try to mop up any rebels or whatever they find. I'm sorry, oh. resistance. Yeah. Yes the the first order. Yeah. The New Order is the Empire. Oh, right, right. Yeah. The it's really order. easy to get them confused, though. <clears throat> yeah, I just, I didn't buy that at all. It's just like, okay, so somehow he got off the planet. What, did he, like, buy another ship? Or did he steal a ship? Or they've established that there's not so many workable okay. ships on Jakku. Did he crash near the wreckage of his X-Wing and get the comm antenna? Like, there's a lot of shit they could have just, you know... Maybe, I don't know. Other than, I woke up in the desert at night, and I knew you'd complete my mission, so I just came back here. I don't know. It's just really weird to me that, oh, he just woke up in the desert at night. They Like, the desert's full of evil, bad things. Like, Ray tells everybody all about that shit. Like, don't get caught out here alone or whatever. And Yeah, so that, was, that's, that plot hole is troubling, because it is a plot hole. I know people toss that term around a lot, but... Poe Dameron's reappearance is critical to the resolution of the plot, so it is a plot hole. Yeah. And uh, Ray. well, I guess we should talk about Finn first, just the character overall. I really like him. I think he's a good addition to this. John Boyega, I think, is a good actor. He did a great job Yeah, with the character, especially for kind of an unknown like him. He really showed off what he could do, and I think his character has that right mix of being like the kind of a scoundrel and also like a guy. He's a scoundrel with a with a heart of gold, basically. He's like kind of like Han Solo. Like him and Poe are basically two different sides of like they split up Han Solo. Yeah, they're like two different parts of a Han Solo Gestalt character. Well, they split Han Solo into three parts. Yeah, because Poe is kind of the one side 
like the more noble side. Finn's kind of got the noble inside, but he's got the douchey sort of thing going on. And then Ray apparently inherited Han Solo's flying abilities and his talent with machines. Right. And then Han Solo himself in this movie is like, he's got the wry wit and stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, the world weariness, I guess, from 30 years of fighting empire people and smuggling again. But like his, his being sarcastic and him being pithy, it, it works. Cause that's always been his character. Like when Chewbacca's bitching about being cold on the, the North pole of the star killer planet, yeah. him saying like, Oh, you're cold. Like that, that works. Cause Han and Chewie have like that relationship where they just snipe back at each other. But, you know, nice shot, bro. High five. Oh, we're back to back. Can't really do it. Ring jack like that. Mm. So generally then everything on Jakku works for me, especially, you know, Finn and and Ray. definitely, I have to say, I think she's the best part of this new movie. I thought if they clearly had the job to find, like, somebody to build a new trilogy around, and I think they found, like, obviously the perfect person. Daisy Ridley is great in this movie. And I think her character's great, too, because she just has that, like, you know, that just innate earnestness that, like, Luke had in the first movie, that she's just basically a kid who, you know, right. has an adventure and is thrown into a bigger world. And I just like the way she handles it and handles herself. She, She's really cool. But I think she and Luke are very similar because they both are have their, their hopes pinned on something that's ultimately not true, and they know it. Like, she thinks her family's coming back to get her off the desert planet. Yeah. And she knows it's really not true deep down. Just like Luke Skywalker thinks he's going to go to the Imperial Academy and it's going to be great. But he knows he's never going to get off the farm. Right. He knows he's going to be stuck on the farm. And if he goes to be at the Imperial Academy with Biggs, it's going to... I think he knows ultimately the Empire kind of sucks dick, so... He just wants to get out of there, which is an interesting difference between the two hero characters in this that Ray's so adamant about wanting to get back to Jakku and staying on Jakku because she thinks that she's waiting for something. Whereas, you know, in the first movie, Luke would rather do anything else than work on the farm and just wants to get the fuck out of there. Yeah, he's really happy when his aunt and uncle get burned to death by stormtroopers. Yeah, I mean, well, he gets over it pretty quickly. Yeah, he seems to recover <laughs> from the loss very quickly. Like, the movie just makes it seem like that he gets over it real During quickly. the ride to Moss Eisley, he just goes through the grieving process. Yeah, so it was a long ride. And, you know, I, I like I like that she basically has to take care of herself. She's a scavenger. She clearly knows a lot about how to work ships and fly ships and technical stuff because she sells the parts out of old Star Destroyers that crashed there, which that kind of stuff, like, I thought that they tried to highlight that a little too much. Like, oh, she lives in an old walker. Oh, she, she, you know, she's repelling inside a Star Destroyer. Oh, they're flying through the engine parts of a Super Star Destroyer. You know, I, I picked up on all that, and it's just, that was a little too much hit over the head, like, ooh, original trilogy callbacks. But, you know, when the focus is on her, I think it's good, because she really plays the part well. Yeah, I think her character has some more growing to do. Yeah, obviously, because this is, like, her awakening, pretty much. But I, I feel good. If the franchise is about her being the Luke Skywalker central character now... I'm okay. I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, and I mean, she just she's. I mean, she's so good and honest, and seems like very pure. Like when she's when she's thinking about selling BB-8 to the guy for all those that food, whatever 
the fuck that shit the is. The bread. Yeah, that she puts in water and it like puffs up and uh you know, she just can't do it because she knows it's like the wrong thing and she feels bad for the droid and stuff. Well that's another I guess similarity between her and Luke is that she's also nice to droids. Yeah. I don't know if you ever noticed that in the cause he seems Yeah, to Uncle be the, Owen treats him like pieces of right. shit. He seems to be the only person in the original trilogy who's actually considerate towards them. And I don't know if that's deliberate or not that they gave her that same character trait. Probably is. Seems like they did their homework. Yeah. I mean down to the point of making an Irish space gangster for Han Solo to have a rivalry with in a possible nod to the original hilarious fat Jabba wearing the Star Trek outfit. Yeah. So all, all the stuff, because, like, Finn gets there pretty quickly. I mean, the most of the stuff we'd see with Ray is, like, her scavenging. She's alone. She hooks up with BB-8, kind of rescues him from that, like, weird guy on the top of the rhino thing. The robo-rhino? Yeah. with Yeah, it's got, like, armor on it or something. So she's hanging out with BB-8. And then, like, when she goes into town with BB-8, that's when Finn shows up. And there's, like, a basically a car chase. You know, them getting to the Millennium Falcon. I thought the way they introduced the Millennium Falcon was a little cheesy. Like, they were like, oh, get on that ship, and then it blows up. And they're like, oh, how about that piece of shit? Oh, like, no, it doesn't fly. And it's like, oh, there it is. Well, as soon as they said off camera, like, you couldn't see it. Like, oh, that piece of junk hasn't flown in years. Like, oh, what a piece of junk. Right. I Call bet back. she can't even fly. Yeah. Like, haha, don't you remember where that was from? <laughs> All, like, the tugging on the nostalgia shit. Yeah. Which there is far too much of in this movie, which I guess we'll talk about a little bit. The only thing they didn't do is have them leave a docking bay. Right. But I thought, you know, I, I heard some other people do reviews of this, and I read some other reviews. And after hearing them, I think that actually, like, what would have been better is because they they established that Ray is a really great mechanic, and she knows a lot about, if not flying ships, she knows a lot about fixing them, mm-hmm. that... If the Falcon was like her project or something, that it was like a hunk of junk inside one of those crash Star Destroyers, and that's how Han and Chewie had lost it or whatever, and she's been fixing it all these years, and suddenly, when they need to get out, you know, she's like, oh, I've, you know, there's this thing I've been working on, it's not ready. That would have been more believable to me, because it would have highlighted, you know, not only her skills... But it would have been a more believable intro of the Falcon besides just shoehorning it in like that. Especially given later that Han and Chewie say, oh, we've been looking for it for like 10 years or whatever. And it's like, I refuse to believe you're that bad at searching if you already searched the planet. Like, it's out in the middle of a fucking field. Yeah. Can't be that hard to find it. Yeah, and Jakku seems pretty sparse. Not that many settlements on this planet. Right, because they find it five minutes after it goes into space. Yeah, and the settlements seem to be centered around the debris fields mm-hmm. the, the the settlement seems like it's made up of salvagers mostly yeah, it's and like, like a, the trading post for all the yeah. scavengers so obviously that would be the place to be looking for all the what you want to find but i mean whatever the millennium falcon has to come you know at a left field to save them fine that's that's and then they're in space and well are they do they do that skipping the battle right they yeah. do the battle with the tie fighters when they're flying around and stuff which i think that that a little bit for me is where I think JJ did a bait and switch on us again, as is his nature. We've discovered because he really pimped this movie for a long time as being all about the practical effects. And like, he's going back to the beginning. Well, that kind of goes out the window 
with uh, the minute they get into the Millennium Falcon. Because from then on, it's just like the CGI is all over the place, in your face. Right. Sometimes it doesn't look real during that sequence. When the, like when they, they try to – they do like the Immelman turn to get inside the engine. You know, the where BSG close-up, is that what you're the, talking about? Well, like the Millennium Falcon goes in the loop and it slows down, so it yeah. basically does a fast flip and then kind of inverts and goes back in. Like, wow, you want to put Anakin Skywalker in there and say it's pod racing now because that's that was like the level of CGI, yeah, over the topness that there was. I mean, the BSG shit I knew that was from the trailer, so I was ready <laughs> for that. The the camera on the rubber band, like, okay, fine, whatever. You saw, you know, Ronald Moore and everybody do it on Battlestar and you liked it. Okay, great. But, yeah, to say it's all about practical effects and you're like, BB-8's a puppet, guys. George Lucas had too much CGI. And then your mini climactic scene in the beginning that gets your heroes off the planet and starts, you know, the hero's journey is just like a seizure-inducing Japanese anime Pokemon. Look at this. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it wasn't a cool dogfight, is that what you want to call it? But it just it was a little too heavy on the the CGI shit. I thought there was too much like the stuff that happened inside the ship was much more interesting. Like them using their skills, like she doesn't really know how the ship works. She can fly it, but like the vagaries that are unique to the Millennium Falcons, like mm, you know, shields, ooh, where is that? And Finn's kind of like learning how to use the quad turret because Poe gave him the introductory lesson in shooting the TIE fighter gun. Yeah, and it's got still got like the the old graphics on right. the display thing, which is kind of cool. And I thought he, you know, that that part of it where he's in the the turret and shooting at them, that was that was pretty neat. Yeah, I, I would have preferred more of that than the outside shit because that was much the characters learning stuff and using their skills was much more interesting than like, look, I rendered a star destroyer in Maya 3D. Yeah. And then you know, I think it pretty it moves pretty quickly once they get off the planet. They're they're scooped up by Han's like giant garbage hauler thing by a mysterious ship. Yeah, which somebody else who reviewed this movie compared that to Aliens. That they thought it was a lot like the Aliens scene in the you know the very beginning where the lifeboat gets picked up by that salvage ship. Oh, and brought and they cut into it and everything. Yeah, like they thought that that was reminiscent of Aliens. I didn't actually get that feeling when I saw that. I just saw a CGI ship eating another one. See, I thought that was reminiscent of the beginning where the blockade runner is getting pulled into the Star Destroyer. That's what that shot reminded me of. Yeah. And because even then, Finn says, oh, it's the First Order. They must have found us. Setting up that expectation that, oh, it's the Empire's, or I'm sorry, the First Order is going to attack them. Right, and they, they hide down in the engine uh that portion where, you know, Han does all the repairs usually in the original trilogy. Because they didn't know about the smuggling compartments. Yeah. Which I'm glad they didn't because that would have been like one fucking step too far. <laughs> yeah. Using everything right. from that would have been New just Hope. One step too far. Yeah, and then Han and Chewie. I, I, for the most part, I mean, Chewie definitely, I like him in this movie. He gets, he actually gets a bigger part in this movie than he had in the original trilogy stuff. Like, he gets more comic relief and more interaction with the new characters. Like, I think there's, like, he gets shot in the arm and he's trying to, like, kill Finn basically half the time they're in, like, the medical bay part of the ship, like, strangling him, <laughs> which is funny. I mean, that's just, that's Chewbacca, though. Yeah. And I, so, like, no complaints there. Han Solo... 
when we first see him stuff i i like his character generally in this movie he's the same guy he's got the same attitude and same witticisms so it's pretty cool it's more of what you like about Han exactly Solo. and and you know the fact just he does funny stuff like you know he takes chewy's bowcaster and he says you know i like this thing like he's never fired it and you know the 40 years they've been together or whatever mm-hmm. well he tries yeah. it on when when they're um the tentacle monsters are attacking them and he, he grabs it again on the Mayan temple bar planet. Yes. And I want to highlight that scene with the tentacle monsters because that is where the movie starts going downhill for me. That's where, you know, I think about that time we're about 45 minutes into the movie Mm -hmm. and that's where it starts to go off the rails for me. It starts to become less, it feels less like a star Wars movie than it does just like a mishmash of a bunch of things just to fill out a plot and give people comfort food basically um i thought the whole idea of having those stupid things on there was it was idiotic because it reminded me of like the new star trek movies where there's like a random like monster that like kirk has to run from or something it's like eating people and shit along the way like in the first movie on the ice planet planet, yeah Yeah, it reminded me of that exactly and the monsters looked fake they didn't look good they were bad cgi they looked pretty fake i don't understand why you know they just didn't have han transporting like uh, somebody else suggested like baby rancors or something like that and for that a ranker yeah a ranker or smaller ones i was thinking because there's like three compartments and you wouldn't have to have cgi for that you could just have got those guys running past it and then like the arm comes out and fucking grabs them and drags them in or whatever or the ranker breaks into the the big one if there was only one in the cargo bay yeah because that was a big open space i mean they could have redesigned the ship to fit the purpose of having better monsters on board Yes. It's not really that, it, you know, Han's hauling monsters. Okay, fine. But then they turn out to be, like, the banking clan guy from episode two. The banking clan will support your rebellion. Like, yeah, it, it looks really bad in comparison to the rest of the shit, which looks really good. Yeah, it's and jarring. The, and then the two gangs that he and Chewie are caught in between. The Yakuza and the IRA. Yeah, it's like, what? what is with that? Like, come on, like... <laughs> That was a little weak. Solo-san, you have cheated the High Lord Hiroki for the last time. Han, me boy, you yeah, stole me lucky charms. Instead of, inst- yeah, inst- instead of relying on the monsters to kind of get us out of that scene, I would have rather they have Han do some kind of trickery to work his way out of that, you know, like he did with Greedo. And, or shoot them. Yeah, or yeah, do something like that. I mean... Uh, he and Chewie could both shoot them, like Han could shoot the guy behind Chewie and vice versa. Yeah. Since for some reason these two gangs dock at opposite ends of the ship and come to the same adjacent airlocks. Yes. For whatever convenient reason. I guess because the script said they were going to do that. Yeah. It all It's all in service of them having to leave Han's giant ship, though, and then everybody's back on board the Falcon. And Han knows where to go. It's a system nearby. Right, where his friend is. Named Lando. No. I thought it was going to be Lando for a second. It should have been Lando because it would have been better if it had been Lando. Lando owns a bar now, serves Colt 45. Yeah, he's gone down in the world since running Cloud City. He's Baron Administrator of a small bar now. 
That would work for me. Yeah, because, I mean, we don't need to cover it, like, point by point in the plot. It's just, from there, it, it just, the, the stuff they just shoehorn in gets, like, a little cheesier and less, I'm less able to swallow it from that point on after the monsters and the ship thing. Like, they, blah, 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 they escape, and they go to see Han's friend, Maz Kanata, who I think is a pretty weak character because the CGI for her is horrible. She doesn't look real at all. No. Her character is kind of unnecessary. And I think basically all she does, she just exists to be that character who just tells people, like, secret stuff. Or, you know, she she's like a thousand years old and she has knowledge. I think it would have been much better if they just, if they just had had her be an actual physical actor. I mean, it was Lupita Nyong'o or whatever from 12 Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing that motion capture stuff with her... Just have her and Just have her do it, yeah. I think that would have been better because the character was weak anyway. Why not have it be as strong as possible if it's going to be a weak character? And then they shoehorn that ridiculous thing like Anakin's lightsaber being in the box and just there for her to give to Rey. I thought that was... Actually, that was probably the part in the movie where I started groaning. And I said, this is so stupid. See, that- but you're not thinking fourth dimensionally because now there's no. a whole other anthology movie about how that fucking lightsaber got in the box from Cloud City. Probably will be. But yeah. I still think that that was just really... I, did, I thought the lightsaber being there was inexplicable and kind of silly, but I liked the flashback. Like I thought that was a good scene. Especially where, like, that's the direct confrontation to Ray of, like, here's the hero's journey, and she tries to say, no, I don't want to. Yeah, I know that's what they were going for. Like, I agree with you. I just think the lightsaber being there, like, not just that there was a lightsaber there, the fact that it is the The lightsaber lightsaber that was lost down a huge fucking shaft in Cloud City and fell into the, you know, uh, center of a gas giant. Somehow it's been recovered, and it just happens to be in this, you know, run-of-the-mill crappy bar at this you know side of the galaxy or whatever i yeah i if setting aside the reason or the lack of reason for it being there i really liked the flashback i liked that they had ewan mcgregor narrating in there a little bit as obi-wan i liked that they had luke skywalker kind of in the background that all worked for me Kylo Ren, you see like a vague flashback of him and his boys killing Luke Skywalker students after he, you know, downloaded too many Linkin Park songs. Like, yeah, and Luke doesn't do anything. Yeah. Well, like he's not do- all we see is like him touching R two with his robot hand from the the trailers. Maybe Luke was taking a dump. He could have been I don't know. somewhere else. I think generally, in just for filmmaking, I think flashback using flashbacks is usually kind of a weak way to do storytelling, but. In this case, I agree with you. I thought that this being a, basically a sequel to the original trilogy, you do have to have a certain amount of callbacks in there to what came before, mm-hmm. just like the prequels did. I mean, they had subtle, small things that... Call forward, sort of. Right, call forward, like anticipating the clone troopers being stormtroopers. You know, a level of familiarity that makes you feel like, yes, I'm in a Star Wars movie, basically, even though it's a lot different. And I liked that they had, like, the corridor from Cloud City there and all that stuff. So I think it, it did work overall in this movie, having her flashback. It's just how she got to the flashback is fucking stupid. Yeah. That the lightsaber is there for some reason. That's really dumb. It's even dumber that I uh, can't remember the name of the CGI creature. Maz. Kanaga. Maz. Kanaga, whatever the fuck. 
doesn't really bother to explain the lightsaber. It's like, haha, it's a story for another day, Conan. Yeah, and that's just right. And that's just the whole time where they're on the planet, and it's like this interlude between the next action scenes. Mm-hmm. It happens so fast. Like, oop, they're talking to Maz. Oop, Finn's gone because he's, you know, walking away because he doesn't like the First Order and has to get away. And, oop, she's down in the basement now. finds the lightsaber. That happens all within, like, ten minutes. Yeah, when she went to the basement, I thought they were trying to go for, like, the cave on Dagobah thing. That's exactly the feeling I got. But then they had just like that, because Luke does have that vision in the cave and Vader's mask pops off and it's him and all that shit, but... It seemed like they were trying to go for that feeling, but then it was just, you know, oh, no, actually, I don't want to be the hero. Yeah. I'm going to leave now. Yeah. No, I, I don't. I, I think that, yeah, it's it's necessary to kind of have that point in the story development, especially for her story. But I felt like it was rushed because you bring up a good point in Empire Strikes Back when Luke goes into the cave on yeah. Dagobah. I mean, I don't really think in total runtime the scene, the two scenes are that much indifference between each other but the way they shot it and the way they did it in empire strikes back it was a lot slower creepier kind of more methodical they have it like really slowing down where vader comes out and it worked so well like because you got you understood the tension and there's like the snakes and shit crawling all around him this time it just felt like up she went into a basement up there's a lightsaber i i think also the cave had more meaning in it though because, yeah. like, there's a lesson in there, like, the surface lesson of, oh, you're going to become Vader if you don't, you know, slow down. And also Yoda telling him, like, don't take your weapons. You know, you have only what you take in with you. And Luke interprets that to mean, like, oh, I'll take my lightsaber. And it's like, no, no, like, the emotional baggage you're taking in there is what you're going to be dealing with. Yeah, I feel like if Maz had been that character to kind of shepherd Rey mm-hmm. uh, in in that way down to there for her to find that, or if... If it had happened a little slower, like, she doesn't just, like, see, like, oh, what's that? Like, down in that, you know, basement or whatever. Stairs. Yeah, she stares. But if she gets kind of, like, they slow it down a little bit and she gets a feeling or something and it's, like, calling to her. And, you know, the way it does in Empire Strikes Back when Luke's, like, oh, you know, it's it's cold and stuff. And if they had drawn it out like that a little more, that scene would have worked a lot better, I think. Or even had... Maz Kanata there try to subtly direct her downstairs. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, that would have worked too. Um, and also just the fact that it's Anakin's lightsaber. Can we just, like, like why? Can we just let that go and accept that it was destroyed? Like, nope. I think it would have worked better if there was a lightsaber in that box, just not his lightsaber. Because the fact that it's his lightsaber just makes it so inexplicable you know what? and stupid. Here's an idea. Make it Luke's lightsaber from Return of the Jedi. No, but he has that. So. No, 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 but bear with me. <laughs> he gave it up when his students got killed. He put it down. Yeah. Like, I'm walking away from this. <clears throat> that would have made more sense. Like, if he left it with Maz Kanata, if she's really, you know, so old and wise, like, and everybody apparently fucking knows her, maybe Luke left it with her. Okay, that's kind of plausible, and that sets up the two next right movies. That could work, and but people would get the call back and say, oh, wow, it's Luke's lightsaber from Return of the Jedi. Right. Or, you know, like, I just think it could have been anybody's lightsaber. It wouldn't have mattered. I mean, like, because at the end of the day, you want that lightsaber to not be somebody. You want it to be Ray's lightsaber eventually. Yeah. Like, that's what it needs to mean. Like, 
if they say like, oh, oh, this is an old lightsaber from an old Jedi, and it's like Qui Gon's lightsaber, it's like, eh, it still doesn't work. Just make it a light, a generic lightsaber or something, or like have Maz like, you know, oh, I knew a Jedi a long time ago, and something like that. He lost it in Game of Dice. Yeah, I feel like that the movie lost its footing a lot at that point because it had already started going off the rails a little bit for me, and then it got to that and it felt rushed and a little bit like it was ripping off. I was okay after that, actually. I mean, I, I thought it was kind of dumb that's Anakin's lightsaber, but I guess, you know, they're trying to force everything into the funnel there. Fine, whatever. I like that Finn picked it up. He came back. That's good. That's very reminiscent of Han Solo coming back to the Battle of Yavin to save them. He picks it up, and thankfully, contrary to what the trailer would have you believe, he is not very good with it. Yeah, he, he gets, gets his ass, ass beaten by a stormtrooper. <laughs> yeah. Like he, it looks like Finn's seen people sword fight before, maybe in a hollow movie. So he thinks he kind of knows what he's doing. And I guess the first order has some kind of melee training, but he didn't pay attention very well. So that was great. That was good. Their escape from that battle was awesome. Kylo Ren was still mildly cool. Hunting Ray down in the forest. Uh, Poe Dameron shows up as soon as that fucking X-Wing showed up and was just blowing Light up all up. the TIE fighters. Yeah. I was like, oh, who could this be? Don't let these thugs intimidate you. But before they even re- revealed who it was, like, golly, I wonder who that is. Yeah. The best pilot in the galaxy. Yeah, they did the, you know, the deus ex machina thing there with Poe just, again, like, how did he get off that planet? Like, he doesn't even say, like, but he did. But how did the Rebels know they were there? Did Han Solo, like, get out his cell phone? No, no, there was, um... There were two operatives in the bar, one of them for the resistance and one of them for the first oh, order. They both right. contact. Right, I forgot yeah, that part. The, the little the, droid guy. The medical droid. Yep. Contacted them. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. the weird lady with the black lipstick contacts the first order. Yeah, who is never seen again. Yeah. But I mean, she's basically like that Garen Dan dude in uh, Moss Eisley. You know that guy? Yeah. The, the long snout He's guy. hard to forget. Yeah. He's very consequential. Yeah. So. The yeah, I think it's a little weak I, that they they show up in the X wings and start you know saving them. But I, I like the battle on the ground with the stormtroopers and everything. Yeah. And Han Solo just shooting stormtroopers using Chewie's bowcaster. Just and I did like that they gave his blaster a little more punch. So it, instead of just Ugh, they fall over and die like in the original one, like it fucking knocks them back and they flip down and they're dead. Yeah, I just like that he looks so bored. For once, Harrison Ford's, like, I'm really bored with acting face works well because it's just like Han Solo has done this so many times with the fucking Stormtroopers. Yeah, like, like just, uh, you guys again. Yeah, just I, like, oh, man. Like, how many of these guys do I have to put down? <laughs> but I, And I like where Kyle Ren is chasing her in the woods because he's not really chasing her. She's kind of panicking, and he's just, like, got his lightsaber out, just, like, kind of stalking her, chasing her down, like... Um, I can't remember what it made me think of in that. Uh... Oh it, it, no, 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 no! It made me feel like uh, like when they're in the smelting factory in Terminator, Terminator. Two, and the T one thousand is just walking and like. <laughs> oh, I thought he's not the, even chasing them. I thought of the end of Terminator One, in that scene. Oh, where the yeah the like how she's Robo hiding is... and he's just kind of like methodically searching. Like, okay, I know you're in here somewhere. Yeah, I like that. Like, he really he seemed very. Again, you're afraid of him as a villain at that point, and it works really well. And uh, the riot control stormtrooper who fights Finn, mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool too. Because again, that's a new thing. Stormtroopers don't do that stuff usually, and he beats Finn's ass. So it's not like a lightsaber makes you invincible. I, I like that. 
Yeah, and the stormtrooper has a little bit of a personality. Yeah, you know, he's going to beat Finn's ass because he's a traitor. Yeah, you're a traitor. <laughs> I mean, that's that's more compelling than what the other stormtroopers say, which is nothing. And, you know, then Leia shows up. Another, okay, that, if you kind of had the, and eh, with a lightsaber, I had like a, a pre in like a earthquake pre-shock with C-3PO literally saying, I am C-3PO, remember me. I think they've wiped his memory a few times. My arm is red. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, oh. That was his Jar Jar moment. Fuck, like, oh, Jesus. Like, I speak. Yeah. <laughs> so, whoa, okay. I was really glad that, that he just, like, walked out of the frame like, oh, okay. I think that was intentional, though, because he's always getting in people's way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I, know. I know. They're like, okay, we're trying to have a moment he's here. Socially he's socially unaware. Like, oh, hello. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's awkward, doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah. But still, like, there would have been, I think there's just probably a better way of doing that than, hi, I'm C-3PO, remember me, kids? Yeah, and, I mean, I guess before we get into the other stuff, because that's, like, the last third of the movie is the whole idea of the First Order and the Starkiller. Oh, I want to talk about something before we get to that, though. Snoke? Uh, no, before we even really get to Snoke. Okay. Uh, it's uh, the good moment where Ray, you know, accidentally discovers that she can use the force when, uh, Adam driver's trying to read her mind and she reads his mind. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, I am a big pussy. I better go back to my room and listen to Lincoln park. And yep. <laughs> fucking say, help me grandpa. Help me be more evil. He's talking to Darth Vader's melted helmet. That fucking killed me. That, that was so stupid. <laughs> that was, that was like, that was like as bad as, as Hayden Christian going, no. That was so bad. It's like, I need the strength to be more evil. Help me. Help me claim the darkness. <laughs> Grandpa, mom. <laughs> yeah. That was, no, that, then that was like, I think that's classic JJ with the cheesy callbacks that we saw in like Star Trek too. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just like, oh, look, it's Darth Vader's helmet. Whoa. But uh, you could have had Darth Vader's helmet in there. Like maybe Kylo Ren went and found it because he's just that creepy and it's like an artifact he has or a memento. But like the fact he's talking to it, like, help me be more evil, Grandpa. Yeah, like you have the helmet in like a display case or something on the wall and you just kind of see it in the background or something like that. That's where it would be like like in Last Crusade where he's going – where he sees the wall tableau and he's like, you know, that's the Ark of the Covenant. And, and he's yeah, like, are you yeah. sure? And he's like, yep, I'm yep, sure. And then, sure. And, then it's, and then it's over. The moment is over. They're – like they don't even talk about it again, you know. That that's how that should have worked. I thought, yeah, I agree with you. It was really stupid and like emo whiny kid thing. Like, that's where the movie grandpa. went off the rails for me. It's just like, <laughs> Grandpa, help me be more evil. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, that was fucking stupid. But and that combined with him taking his mask off, because I look, Adam Driver. I haven't seen him in a lot of stuff. I'll admit, and I'm sure he's a fine actor. He's a method actor, so I know he really takes his craft seriously. So kudos to him on that. He tries really hard in this movie, and I think for the most part he succeeds. But he just looks so fucking goofy. <laughs> don't take that mask off, man. Because I don't feel like you're menacing anymore. You're just a you're you're a whiny shithead kid now. But even in the context of the scene, he's trying to intimidate her and use his force powers to pull the information out. Yeah. So why take your helmet off? Why not keep the psychological advantage of being the creepy helmet guy? Yeah, I don't... I mean, I guess maybe because he's being torn between his better and more evil impulses, which is like a 
thing they set up with him during the movie. I can feel the light inside me. Help me get rid of it, Grandpa. Yeah, exactly. Like he's he's got this conflict in him between, and he's being pulled strongly in both directions throughout most of this movie. It seems, and because uh, he doesn't actually kill that many people in this movie, as opposed to Vader, he kills Max von Sydow. Right, he kills a couple people during the fight. Yeah. So, but I mean. Vader kills people in like very um, cruel and unforgiving ways, and just does it as a matter of course but in the our, original trilogy. Our, really, our first scene with him is him choking Captain Antilles to death. Right, he doesn't even use the force for that; he just yeah. uses his robot arm. And he kills Admiral Ozel for getting it wrong. And he's just he chokes the guy in the Death Star boardroom. Yeah, and he would have killed just him, making fun of him. Basically. Yeah, Tarkin hadn't stopped him. Yeah, and he kills lots of rebel pilots. But I think that's why Adam Driver wants his help to be more evil. Right, because he wants to kill more people. He, he wants just, to. He just feels guilty. He's, he's got the light inside. Yeah. And I, I think that scene would have worked better, one, if like he hadn't done that weird grandpa thing, like you said, and if he had kept the mask on. And Because otherwise, like the reversal of fortunes in that scene is pretty cool. Like Ray turns the tables on him. And she doesn't even know she's doing it, really, which is kind of cool. It might have been more interesting to me if he had, like, gotten flustered and gone out of the room and taken his mask off. Like, wow, I just got my ass fucked. Yeah. As opposed to, like, I'm going to play good cop, bad cop. Yes. I mean, I think we're hitting on a lot of things here. We're in the the second half of this movie is where all the problems are, basically. I did like the part where she does trick the stormtrooper, though. Yeah, tricks Daniel Craig. Yeah, that was actually, that was pretty funny as a comic relief moment. And as a callback to Obi-Wan Kenobi, not the droids you're looking for, but just also it was kind of cool that she accidentally figured out she had the Force when she read Adam Driver's mind. And then she goes like, hmm, whatever that was, I wonder if I can do it to this guy. Yeah. And the the thing that I, I like about that, but then they kind of ruined it for me, was that, yeah, she starts out in the sense it's kind of haphazard, almost like Luke is in the first movie. Like she she doesn't even know she's doing it. And she does. She doesn't have any conscious control over it. But then later in the movie, like twenty minutes or fifteen minutes later, Kylo Ren warns everybody and says, "Oh, now she knows how to use the Force. She'll, her powers will be increasing, or whatever." You know, it's like no, she's not going to like all of a sudden study up and then just know how to use it. That I think she learned silly. one trick because when she tells the stormtrooper originally, he's like, "Fuck you." And yeah, that's you, why I like that scene. And then you can see like she takes the time to concentrate and actually does it, but. What I don't understand is how that then translates to her not that much long later in the movie, you know, time-wise, pulling the lightsaber out of the snowdrift. Something Luke couldn't even do when he's about to get eaten by a snow creature. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll, I have a theory on that, and we can... The Medichlorians did it? No, I'm, no <laughs> nothing like that. I'm glad. That's one thing absolutely I was thrilled about in this movie. No mention of Medichlorians or trade disputes. I was so afraid that when Han Solo was saying it's all true, he was going to throw Medichlorians in there, like the Jedi, the Sith, Medichlorians. It's all true. Yeah, that 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 scene, <clears throat> a little too much explaining in that scene, but we're actually there's really not, I guess. I think that scene worked. I was just really afraid that it was going to be Medichlorians, <clears throat> just like I was afraid that uh, at the climactic battle at the end they were going to ruin it and have Luke show up. Yeah, that that would have ruined it. Yeah, and. Uh, I think, I don't know, I just didn't like the way that they kind of, they lit the fuse on Ray kind of 
feeling her way into using the force just unconsciously. And then they kind of made it seem like, you know, all of a sudden, once you, once you open up that cork of the force, then, you know, it's going to just fill you up and you're going to know how to use it. That's what Kylo Ren seems to imply. And it's just, yeah, I took that a different way though. I thought that was because he had a really incomplete understanding of the force and didn't know what he was doing. Right, it's he, obvious he's not very trained right, himself. It seems like he was kind of talking out of his ass, like, "Oh, be careful, guys! She, she, you know, she got one over on me, so she's gonna figure it out now." Because he doesn't really seem to know what the fuck he's doing. Okay, I buy that. They just should have made it more explicit. Um, and I think by by way of that, we should talk about like the First Order and Snoke and oh yeah, and the Star Killer, quote unquote Snoke. Yeah, Snoke is probably the fucking worst character in this movie not only because the cgi looks terrible it looks like the fucking cave troll from lord of the rings mixed with you know spindly arm alien guy from close encounters it's a, a very skinny version of the cave troll from harry potter yeah look he anorexic cave troll yeah we'll just call him that he's like 25 feet tall in a hologram which i don't think he's really 25 feet tall um no and he adds nothing to the movie I don't I think he basically he he's like a a plot device because he sets up the whole you have to kill your father Kylo thing that's the only purpose he has in the movie and it's a really cheesy purpose because And well he serves one other purpose though. What? He's a venue for Grand Moff Tarkin to argue with Darth Vader. Yeah, I guess, but That's it. Seriously, that that's kind of a weak thing to and to use him for. He's an opportunity to have that Empire Strikes Back asteroid field hologram conversation where they walk into the big room on the little narrow path through the hologram pad and there's like the big man in charge hologram. Yeah, exactly. And that was really cheesy and I think his character in this movie is just unnecessary and stupid and I think that Kylo killing Han Solo would have worked a lot better if they had worked up to that organically instead of Snoke just saying like, nope, you got to do this, man. I mean, Snoke could exist if they didn't show him. Yeah, exactly. I think that, like in New Hope, they mention the Emperor just once. And they just say, oh, the Emperor dissolved the Senate. You know, how he's going to maintain control. And that's everything we hear about the Emperor. So when people saw that in 1977, they just thought, the Emperor. He's like somewhere. They don't even know that he was going to well, be a thing. I mean, it's the Empire, so it must have right. an Emperor. That, okay. Yeah, and if they had just referred to him like that say like supreme leader snoke or whatever or supreme leader and your snoke right just never shown him in the movie because it wasn't really necessary that would have worked just fine for me but you know what they did do not that yeah they did a crappy motion capture character with bad dialogue and but i thought the end where they were they uh <clears throat> revealed he was a hologram was horseshit well, I mean, I kind of knew he was a hologram the whole time because he had like that, yeah, yeah. the shimmer. I I thought that he was just like in a big dusty room for some reason, but then when like that piece of rock fell through him and the hologram like broke apart briefly, it was just like, oh, okay, that yeah. wasn't nearly as cool as I thought. So Snoke, big miss. I think they they swung not too enthusiastically. I mean, I don't think the character was really well designed anyway. I think that was a horrible character design. He looks like he got hit in the face with a shovel. Yeah, it's just the question is who is he really? 
Yeah, if they, I mean, if they go like, "Oh, he's the emperor and he survived the second Death Star," or like, "Oh, he's like the emperor's old Sith master who survived the emperor trying to kill him," and or he's uh, an emperor clone, or he's Count Dooku. Yes, I mean, if they do something like that, I'm just gonna. I know who be he is. Angry. He's Newt Gunray. No. Yeah. He doesn't have the accent. It's a, he took English lessons. They should not have made this bugger. <laughs> you must have killed your father. Yeah. I think his design is right up there with worst designs in sci-fi movies with the stupid uh, alien-human hybrid thing from Resurrection. Well, that's pretty bad. I I was really angry at this thing because it's like, I don't take that guy seriously as a menacing, dark side, master, supreme religious leader guy at all. He just looks like a stupid CGI character who got hit in the face with a shovel. I would have preferred they just did it like the claw from Inspector Gadget. Yeah, like you see him from the behind perspective or and just like obscured somehow. And like, you yeah. know, Adam Driver and Grandma Tarkin are talking to him or talking to the hologram, but you never get to see him. It's like they're just having a conversation. Yeah, that would have worked for me. I think that would have been a more creative approach to take. And I think they went the cheesy 2015 storytelling route, which is you show everything. Here's the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, like, we're don't make the audience think about anything. Well, thinking is bad. Yeah, and then, you know, along with that, though, one of the things that they think they should have told us or shown us a little bit more of is, like, the whole distinction between the Empire, the Republic, the Resistance, and the First Order in this movie. Because, again, I think Disney expects people to go back and read the uh, materials they're putting out, you know, the journey to the force awakens stuff to kind of nope. understand how this stuff goes. It's like, no, like you have to do a movie. Like it's a closed loop. You have to, everything in the movie has to work within the context of that movie. You can't just expect people to, and this is America. People aren't going to go out and read books to understand this movie. Come on. I stopped doing homework, you know, a decade ago. Right. So I'm not doing it for a fucking movie. Like this is America where People don't read books for pleasure. Reading is for fags. <laughs> right. I believe that's what the official position is. Yes. And uh, that's the Department of Education stance, right? <laughs> but uh, on that point, though, I was really confused when they – admittedly, the interesting Starkiller base attack, like visually interesting. Yeah. Did they blow up Coruscant? Was that what that planet was? No. Um, it was the Hosnian system. That's okay. what they said. And again, this wasn't explained very well in the movie, but either it was like a Republic stronghold system or it was the current capital of the Republic. See, yeah. I read some things online and then yeah. I'm compared it to what I hear in the movie. And it's, those are the two options I think I read. It really just confusing though. Cause when they're around the big hologram table that they somehow took from Yavin with them, I guess they just carted it out there. They're saying, like, oh, we can't hope to take on the Starkiller base without the Republic fleet, like, implying the Republic fleet had enough strength to just come fuck that thing up. Yeah. It's like, if so, where is it? And why aren't you the Republic? Why are you the Resistance? Like, are you the Iran-Contra proxy thing or what? Not very well explained. I mean, the opening crawl of A New Hope does a better job of laying out the, you know, the Empire, the Rebellion. Right. Okay. Empire has Death Star. Rebellion has Death Star plans. Yes. Movie roll. Movie begin. Like, yeah. the plans are on the ship. Okay, go. But I don't have any sense of how 
the passage of time has changed things. Like, is the rebellion on just like a a rebranding of the? Uh, I mean, is the resistance a rebranding of the rebellion and just never? And the republic was like some separate thing that got formed, or did the republic form out of the rebellion and then the republic decided to finance the resistance because the first order was, you know, it's like ah, okay, these guys might be a problem in ten years or something. You know, and they're fighting like a proxy war or something like that. And to that matter, like, where's the empire? Is the empire still exists somewhere in like an expanded universe context where it controls like a small portion of territory? And like the really ultra crazy fascist nationalist people in the empire seceded and formed this first order thing? Or is the first order just like the empire collapsed and the first order like grew out of the remnants of that and it just became more and more extreme? Oh, that's who Snoke is. He's the guy in Return of the Jedi who's walking away when Luke comes to meet the Emperor. Oh, yeah, you think so? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out who this motherfucker's supposed to be, because apparently he's hooked up to all the history of Star Wars, but much like, um, I already forgot her name again, Mayan... Maz. Maz Kanata. Never heard of her. Right. But apparently she's been around longer than Yoda, so okay. Yeah, again, it's okay to have new characters, but you've just got to make sure the new characters are memorable and they're there for a reason. And they, they're, you but know, it, Maz Kanata, she's not there for any reason except to give the lightsaber to, to Ray, and that's cheesy the way it was executed. And Snoke's not there for any reason at all besides to tell Kylo that, oh, you got to kill your father to be evil. I just object to them putting these people at like the center of the web. And then never explaining how they got there. Yeah, it's 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 lost level yeah. bullshit from JJ. Like you can make a new character. That's and the new characters in this movie are generally pretty great, but they're all basically nobodies. If you had a new character like, oh no, this is like the real emperor who's been behind everything all along. He was manipulating Palpatine, like like okay. the stupid uh, old Republic game story that they had. Yeah. Like the thousand-year-old Sith Emperor guy who was manipulating everything. Right. Like it just – if these people are so fucking important or they you know, have read so many fortune cookies, they can own a bar on a Mayan desert temple planet. Help, Kylo. I'm trapped in a fortune cookie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I want to know more about – because the First Order itself that we see in this movie, I think it's pretty cool. I like their whole setup, and it's clearly like they do like the Nazi salute and everything. And, and it's yeah, when they're going to fire the weapon, and uh, right. Moff Tarkin gives the great Hitler speech and like gets himself all worked up and yeah, they all heil together. Domhnall Gleeson, right? That's the guy's name. Yeah, the carrot top guy. Um, I like his character, General Hux. I mean, he comes off as like this really evil bureaucratic. Kind of like Tarkin, except less refined because he's younger and more. Right. He's he. You know, he's hungry. He wants to make a name for himself. I like him for those reasons, but also like the same reason I kind of like Tarkin is that he, in the same way Tarkin's not afraid of Darth Vader, he thinks Kylo Ren's kind of a joke. Yeah. He's just like, okay, Kylo Ren, whatever. Oh, I thought you said we didn't need the droid. What happened to that? Yeah, it just <laughs> serves to illustrate that. <laughs> Even within their ranks, there's skepticism of, like, these, you know, who are these? Okay, so they can, like, levitate objects. They can't run a fucking military. That's my job. Yeah. Well, it's pretty evident that Kylo Ren is not a good leader. Right. Hux is really the brains behind building all this stuff. Or, you know, we don't know the extent of the First Order, so Hux seems like he's the commander of Starkiller Base. and But he not. seems to know what he's doing. Like, Kylo Ren's like, no, we should do this. He's just like, um, yeah. no. 
we shouldn't. Yeah, I, I so I like I like that, and again, they've got a cool. It's a nice evolution from the Imperial stuff, like their their mm-hmm. uniforms and all that, and the Stormtrooper uniforms. I think are are a really nice upgrade from what they had in the original trilogy. And the First Order now has women working for it. Yeah, which is a change from the Empire. Which I understand because if you're like this, you know, comparatively small organization that's really really. Uh, committed to like this crazy fascist ideal that they're in thrall with. Right. And you don't have the kind of numbers that the empire used to have. Like you have to use every resource. You can't pick and choose. Right. So captain Phasma, absolutely logical to have her being your, you know, trainer of the forces who drinks the Kool-Aid you take them on, which is cool. And I like how that more than the empire they're they're really into that thought conditioning, Stuff mm-hmm. like they want to send Finn to the mental reconditioning thing because he hesitated in battle or whatever. The re-education camp. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's kind of a throwaway line, but Finn does say like, "Ooh, you know, all the stormtroopers are kidnapped from their families and raised in the first order, like they're raised in the cult. They use child soldiers, and yeah, right. And they like they you know train them to be stormtroopers and basically brainwash them and doing all this shit. Yeah, which is okay because we know he's Lando's son according to the puzzle that got leaked in Amazon. Hoo ha. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe Lando will show up next movie looking for his kid. Um, but speaking of kids and fathers and sons, I think we need to cover... Well, can we can we <laughs> talk about Starkiller Base first, just briefly? Starkiller Base is pretty cool. The design of it is cool. I mean, it looks The idea cool. of it is preposterous and a huge ripoff. What does it rip off? Both Death Stars. It is... But it's bigger. Yeah, they, exactly. And... Ah, it just seemed really cheesy to me that they went with this. So it's three times now the bad guys have built this giant planetoid-sized battle station thing, and it has one weak point. But that's, that's even Han Solo's <laughs> first question, though. When it's Don't like, we it's, just blow these things yeah, up? <laughs> it's so much bigger than the Death Star. And he's like, all right, but how do we blow it up? Like, fuck right. this. Let's just blow it up. And I don't can't they come up with something else or at least have it so that Starkiller Base can't be destroyed that easily or it's going it, to – they don't destroy it and it's like something that keeps coming up in the next movie or something? Like do something different. You know what would be a really devastating weapon? We'll be taking a tractor beam, which they have, and an asteroid and just throwing it at a planet. Yes. No lasers, no draining suns somehow. Like Anubis and SG-1? Yeah. yeah. Or the bugs and uh, Starship Troopers just – if you really want to blow up a planet, you don't have to blow it up literally. Just fucking throw an asteroid at it. The problem will solve itself. But, yeah, it's it, – they they drain a right. star. That's to me like the, that's what's so cheesy about it. It's like it's just like over-the-top gonzo reality type shit. Like, oh, yeah, it's – it's you know, don't forget about the Death Star. This thing's like three times – it's a whole fucking planet. You know, it could suck a star dry and then it blows up like a whole system because it fires through hyperspace, man. See, that <laughs> felt more like Star Trek to me that like it's draining the star like Nero's magic red goo. Yeah, red, it even fires a red laser. Red matter. They have red matter. Yeah, <laughs> I th- maybe Spock got crossed into that timeline, and too. it becomes a sun after it blows up. Yeah, I guess they're going for like the super lowball, cheapy metaphor of like you blew up the evil and all like the lights back. But well, I was just thinking because scientifically it absorbed the power of an entire star. So what would it become with all that energy stored up in it if it was destroyed? A star. Han Solo's body got vaporized. Yeah. So, okay. I know you want to talk about that. <laughs> 
preposterous bad decision they made because grandpa helped him be so evil yes and han solo han and chewie and finn well han and chewie mainly because finn and ray are opening the doors for them go plant explosives around the i don't know the the cooling port wherever poe dameron's got to fly through the trench to fire his torpedoes the at giant exhaust port yeah and they sneak away and they're about to get away but then kylo ren walks in there because first of all can we talk about the logistics of that like the they're there fine because that's near where they landed how is kylo ren there so easily because they've established that this facility is literally built into a planet that's a big distance to travel i mean like just him traveling out to that area that's like you know they're on a high-speed bullet train that's still like a couple hours <laughs> he used the Dolce network, right? But they don't have transporters either, so he used the Dolce network. Or do they just take shuttles everywhere? And that yeah. maybe they flew around on the inside of the planet. Do the planet core? Yeah, through the planet <laughs> core. That's the easy. That's the fastest way to get to the other side of the planet. Yeah. So one, I was thinking about that that whole time, and then I don't know. What do you think about Han being killed? I don't have really have a problem with him being dead so much as the way it was being done. Like, if you have to kill him, if you must kill Han Solo, fine. But just having him, like, walk out, reveal himself, like, no, my son, don't be evil. Oh, I'm so sorry, Dad. I want to come back and be with you and Mom again. Okay, I'll help you do that, son. But there's something I have to do first. What is it? I'll do anything to help you. Die. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel about it. It's 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 not sacrilege to kill Han Solo. You can kill Han Solo. It's just you've got to do it in the right way. And they, I think this is just the absolute wrong way to do it. It's it it's shock sm- value, right? It smelled of shock value, and like they wrote the script and they couldn't figure out a way to do it, so they just wrote something, and it turned out bad. I mean, Han Solo, I don't know, blowing up something crashing the Millennium Falcon into the reactor, and then that's how the Starkiller base gets destroyed or something. If you were really going to make a Star Wars fan film, he should have come in to save Poe Dameron at the end and, like, you know, sacrificed himself that way. Yeah, to me, this is, like... Again, I think we diverged where we think the movie starts going downhill. Mm -hmm. But, again, I think that the movie started going downhill during that you know, monster on Han's spaceship scene. That's where it starts to trickle down a little bit. And then it really, the part where she gets the lightsaber is the point of no return for me. This is the point where it becomes fan fiction. <laughs> I mean, this, no, it, it looked and sounded and, you know, it probably read on this page like fucking fan fiction. I mean, it's like, Ooh, you know, you have to help me, you help me be evil. Uh, you're dead. And then he falls into the planet core or whatever with his crappy CGI body. <laughs> I know they couldn't even have somebody yeah. fall on some mattresses. It was just, uh, it was just done very disrespectfully. And, and then, and then after that, like, you know, Chewie roars and gets shot and, or something, or no, Chewie doesn't get shot. Chewie he, shoots Kylo he Ren. He shoots Kylo Ren and Kylo, Ooh, which I was okay with. I thought it was Durr. funny. Yeah. It was fun when he, he got shot, but you know, Chewie roars and like, you know, Ray and Finn are like, Oh my God, like Dragon Ball Z style. And then, oh. like, yeah. And then they retreat and stuff. But it's like, from that point on, nobody even acknowledges Han Solo. Nobody talks about him. Nobody says anything. There's no memorial service for him at the end of the movie. There's no, like, Leia doesn't even say anything. Yeah, that, instead of having them come out and have, like, the 
the San Francisco gay pride parade assembly at the end where they're all like waving to the camera, basically. Yes. Maybe they could have had Han's memorial service and then Ray leaves with Chewie to find Luke. Yeah. I mean, seriously, like look at episode one, uh, you know, like Qui-Gon got a fucking funeral. And everybody was there, even the stupid Gungans. And they had that semi-important conversation with Luke, or not Luke, Obi-Wan and Yoda, like, oh, you killed one Sith, but, you know, there's always two. That retardedness aside, like, they had some consequences to the plot. This is just like, have fun on your vacation. Yeah, and it's like, everybody's so happy. It's like, okay, they did destroy Sith, but they lost one of their biggest heroes. Maybe the other people shouldn't be so, like, they, maybe they're like, we don't know who Han Solo is, but I think that... Leia ought to have been more despondent than like, oh, I'm really down. And then C-3PO's like, hey, R2-D2's alive. And she's like, oh, fuck. Well, I get what they were going for, that he dies and like she feels it from all that distance. But like either she didn't act that out as well as they needed her to or they just wrote it badly because I couldn't tell like, you know, that confused the guy behind us. He didn't know what was going on. Well, he had too much candy in his mouth. Yeah. I got what they were going for, like the same way that Obi-Wan feels Alderaan getting blown up and sits down like, oh, fuck. Like, but then how come nobody does that when like the Starkiller blows up like five fucking planets and everybody gets vaporized? Well, I, I would have to imagine because the same reason that Luke didn't really feel anything, like Leia had the connection to Han because they were together and had a kid and all that. Like maybe that's the only person she would have felt it for. I'll bet, you know, if we're talking about the what ifs here luke probably felt the system get blown up in ireland where he was hanging out and leia just only feels things about people because really she, close to she her doesn't have like the same training uh, yeah the level yeah. of like affinity or she's not tuned like he is because she didn't do the training that's how i took it like she felt han's death because that was somebody she was really close to but still that's all he gets it's like, oh, I know. That's I think it. That's, that's bullshit. Yeah, like it's they, fucking bullshit. They should have ended the movie like on the inverse of the happy metal ceremony from the other one, like kind of the somber, like, oh, Han Solo's dead, but we blew up the Starkiller base, and there's still hope because we can go find Luke. Well, okay. I hate to defend episode one in, in this capacity, but I did think that they did that well. <sighs> the basically the hero of the movie mm-hmm. was Qui Gon, you know, and and Obi Wan. Yes. And no, it was Qui-Gon. Obi-Wan spent the whole movie on the ship. Right, but, you know, by the end of the movie, Obi-Wan was the hero because he defeated Darth Maul and stuff. But Qui-Gon was, like, the, basically the main character in the movie. He was driving a lot of mm-hmm. the plot. He dies. They give him a funeral. There's significance of the funeral. There's still a celebration in the end, and it worked because they won this big battle and won their freedom from the evil droid army. It's like you can still have a celebration, but just make sure you pay the respect to the character who's admiration the audience has earned throughout just one movie whereas they are in love with han solo for three movies and 30 years between them right respect right exactly not for your homies and in this movie he doesn't get anything he just gets a like leia's like oh no she has like a heart palpitation or something because she didn't take her like medicine or whatever and (laughs) oh no han died yeah yeah he doesn't get shit Yeah, it's just a study. See, you said that the movie kind of went down for you, started going down with the Han monster thing. I had more of a peaks and valleys approach to this, where it was like the Han monsters were like, eh, that was kind of stupid. But then some other shit happened, and okay, we're we're good. The lightsaber, oh, that's kind of dumb. But the flashback was cool. And now Kylo Ren's back being interesting, and they're capturing Rey. And okay, now he's talking to Darth Vader about being evil. Yeah, the... 
I'll tell you what really crashed the plane, though, for me was what? when the, they were having the final battle when they were the X-Wings were blowing up the exhaust port. And not the trench. I know the trench is what triggered you, but when Poe Dameron flies inside and blows everything up and then flies back out like Independence Day style, <laughs> yeah. and then it's just like, you yeah, fucked him up, man. <laughs> it's like... He's oh. like screaming like Wilson. Like, ah! <laughs> Just like okay, like man, I really I like Poe Dameron and everything, but fucking shit, like I think they just rushed that whole battle too much. Like, right. In a New Hope, the way I feel about that one is that the battle was a very significant part of that movie, not just in length of time, but also the way they handled it. Like there were real consequences. It seemed like you know every fighter lost. That's like they don't have that many. There's like fifteen guys right mm-hmm. in. There's like 20 fighters total together, Y-Wings and X-Wings. Yeah. So every guy they lose, you know, and it's a whole fucking battle station with like a planet's worth of armaments and people on it fighting against them. So it really means something. And then like Luke's the only guy left basically, and he's going to get shot down by Darth Vader. And, you know, the actually the speed at which they're moving in the trench, mm-hmm. like just I don't get any of that sense of tension in this movie, in this scene. Like it just seems like... They come in, there's the CGI battles going on, they're getting their asses kicked a little bit. I don't really feel like they're in mortal danger. I don't feel like any anxiety over what's going to happen here. And then, like you said, it triggered me when they're like, oh, there's the trench. And then he's, oh, they're going into the trench. Fucking his blatant two, ripoff. His two wingmen have to pull out, right. and only he's left. And that's a very narrow target he's shooting for. Right, and the only cool part of that scene is where he folds down his attack foils on the X-Wing and goes sideways and gets into the thing. It's like, okay, I wasn't expecting that. But then the rest of it was just a blatant play-by-play ripoff of destroying Death Star 1 and 2. An amalgamation of the yeah. two, yeah. Because you've got to fly inside to blow up the reactor thing and then fly back and out. And I'm thinking with how ruthless we've established that these First Order guys are, I don't believe that they designed another planet-killing super weapon for that expense and made it that vulnerable once again. <laughs> but since the Empire and the Death Star and Jedi are all legends people don't really believe in, maybe they thought the whole exhaust port was a big joke. They just seem too smart for that. They seem too bureaucratically efficient. Yeah, they seem, you know, that guy who comes up to Tarkin and says, like, mm, my lord, there is actually, you know, a vulnerability. The Rebels' attack plan isn't actually full of shit. Yeah, and he's like, oh, in our moment of triumph, yeah. like, what the fuck are you smoking? And he's just like, you know, get off my bridge or whatever. And <laughs> it seems like everybody in the, all the First Order people are that guy. Like, they're all kind of like. They don't have the luxury of being arrogant. Right. Because they know that they don't have that much to work with. Which is why I like that scene where the guy's running away and the other guy's like, get back here, I'll have you shot. And he's like, even Hux left, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because they know what's up. I mean, right. they, that to me, like they're, those characters are very believable and the way they operate. But I just don't believe that they could have designed it with such a fatal flaw once again. Or seriously, you got a whole fucking planet to work with. Put that thing inside the planet, underneath the crust, so they can't get to it. What's with that? Put it under the ocean of the planet because water dissipates heat better right. than air. That's true. Yeah, science. Or also, you know, maybe just as a general point, don't have only one person who knows, like, the shield codes. Like, that. I mean, that was a hell of a stroke of luck to find Captain Fizma there hanging out. Oh, yeah. She just 
they she knows the like why would she know the codes or I don't have a problem with her knowing the codes, but it's just like that's your security protocol. You have all your eggs in basically one basket. Like you capture the right person and then yeah, that's another little problem because the size of Starkiller Base being a whole planet and suddenly like like Han and Finn and Chewie and Ray and Phasma, they all run into each other coincidentally at the same like very close in time. Right. Which at the is, same place. It's more evidence of like that kind of Iron Man three Shane Black, like where Finn's getting a little jumped up, like, you know, I'm in charge now, I'm in charge. Like it's funny, but it's not Star Wars. Right. Although, again, though, you're going to trade that for your good Han moment where he's just, you know, like, calm the fuck down, like, have a snack. Yeah. Just relax. What did he say to him? Uh, you overplaying it or something? Yeah, something like But it was good. It yeah, worked. it was funny. Or, like, when he was telling him, you know, the, like, you're, like, women always find out or something. And he's like, you're going to take this because you're going to need it or whatever. <laughs> the, uh... I did like where they're going to throw her in the garbage chute. That's that was funny. Yeah, and he's just like, oh yeah, garbage chute. Like he's recalling that. Yeah, I remember what that's like. <laughs> and uh, or when he get, you know, just the Han stuff where he gives Ray the pistol. He's like, you know, I'm giving it to you because you can handle yourself. Or yeah, but he's dead now. Right, and they killed him so disrespectfully after once again building him up throughout the movie as you know somebody we love, and then they killed him in such a cheesy, disrespectful way. And Grandpa, how do I tie this fly to the fishing reel? Grandpa, my kite got lost. <laughs> Help me be evil and kill my father. Yeah. And the final battle thing. I did like the final battle. It was okay. Like, uh, Finn got his ass kicked. That was... Oh, the final battle between the humans, not right. the spaceships. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, the yeah. spaceship battle, I think we've said, was I didn't like it at all. It it was a stupid ripoff. The final battle between them, I thought, was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I think it was pretty thematically strong. Kylo Ren is being a douche, and then Rey is defending, you know, somebody who's defending someone's life. Versus Kylo Ren, who just wants to be evil. Yeah, and I took her pulling the lightsaber out of the snow there. Mm -hmm. Not as, like, her consciously doing it, but just that she was so angry that Finn got taken down by Kylo Ren. And she, you know, he might be dead. And she just loses control and just, like, boom, bursts of power. She doesn't even know what's happening. The thing's in her hand. And then she's just going on autopilot. And Kylo Ren really doesn't know how to respond to that since he basically... I guess doesn't have much training either. No, because Snoke tells him that he needs to come back to the the pederasty center to catch up. Right, and they never clear that up. Like he, they never actually show him getting away. Like the next scene is the planet imploding. So it's like, okay, how do you get away? Well, conveniently, there's a there's a gap that goes down to the planet core with lava and shit that opens up between them. Right, so they're separated to prevent her from killing him. Because like you know, five seconds later, that would have been time for the coup de gras there. Yeah, the. I don't know what it was about that scene. I, I like the the lightsaber choreography and the fighting itself because that makes it seem like it's more realistic because neither of them is a trained force user. Mm -hmm. So I would I expect the lightsaber combat to be more like the original trilogy where you were basically dealing with crippled cyborgs and old guys fighting, so they can't do any of that prequels acrobatic stuff. But I thought that... The one thing that really didn't work for me about the final battle was that it seemed a little too dramatic for its own good. And I don't know if that's just the way they played it up, like between him and Ray or the 
the John Williams music that they were using in that scene, which another complaint I have about the movie is that there's nothing new in terms of music here. John Williams kind of phoned it in on this, I think. But didn't you like the slowed down version of the Imperial March when Kylo Ren walked away to reveal the Vader helmet? No, I didn't either. No. And (laughs) you know, it's just, it's just replay after replay of cues from the other movie and other people's themes and stuff like that. That theme that she has when she ignites the lightsaber in the last battle, that's what, you know, Luke's looking at his charred uncle and aunt. That's the same music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it didn't work for me. No. And the the resistance control room thing, like, obviously a ripoff again of episode four, but it's like they really went down to the letter to how they ripped that off. Like, they got the control room. They got the... The display thing. They got all the rebel leaders around there. They even have the old white beard guy. (laughs) Who hasn't aged in 30 years somehow. Right. Or a different white beard guy. But they have the guy. Just all the pieces are in place there just to make it exactly the same. They included an Asian guy this time, though. Yeah. For some reaction shots. Right, of course. Eh. I don't know. I like the final battle. I thought it was a little weird that Chewbacca showed up with the Millennium Falcon and, like, didn't take the time to kill Kylo Ren. Yeah. And knew where they were. Right. Because I... If Chewie went through all that trouble, Kylo Ren just killed Chewie's best friend. So if I were Chewbacca, I would have taken that little underside turret thing and just, you know... Yeah, and that's, again, about Han's death. Like, Chewbacca hardly fucking mourns. They don't... Like, he, he yowls in that one scene and shoots Kylo Ren, but then after that, it's like Leia doesn't even hug him when they yeah. get back to the planet. He just, like, walks past her, and they don't even, like, touch each other. So I thought <laughs> that they were going to hug or something, and then he just, like, drapes his past, and it's just like, okay, bye, see you later. I would have preferred Chewbacca did something else, though. Like, they had something more, I guess, for him to do in response to Han's death other than just being like, I want to shoot at you with my bowcaster, like, maybe choke Kylo Ren, like, pimp style. Yeah. Yeah, they think that would have been more effective and then just have Kylo Ren, like, force push him away or something. I mean, that seems to be more Chewbacca's speed, like, not shooting people so much. Like, like with the other time he thinks Han's dead, basically, when Lando sells them out, he almost chokes him to death. Yeah. And that's a good character moment as opposed to, you know, I'm really mad now. Help me be evil, Grandpa. You must kill your father. Okay, Grandpa, help me. Yep. I just... So overall, I guess, oh, yeah, we haven't covered the very end where Ray. I like the fact that, that Ray is now Chewbacca's partner, basically, in piloting. She's the pilot of the Falcon now. I think that's kind of cool. That sets up some interesting dynamic for the next movie, especially you put Finn in the mix because I guess he gets left like he's on the table like Neo. He's in a coma, Yeah, I think. at the end of this movie. And... The going to find Luke thing, I guess so. Mark Hamill, I just wonder how much he got paid for being in this movie with no dialogue for about 30 seconds and just looking despondent. Looking vague. I don't know if he looked despondent. He just... He looked like weary. Weary and I don't know, like he's got like, he's, he's got soulful eyes or whatever he looked like he knew what her holding the lightsaber out like he looked like he was up to date and everything that happened like he knew he knew that he was going to go have to get back into it now like he couldn't be in exile anymore yeah i didn't i didn't 
dislike anything in that very ending scene except for the the camera thing they did with them the two of them standing on top of the thing like the camera's moving like the helicopter shot yeah the helicopter shot it to me that felt a little like too highlander for this movie like i was you know expecting at that moment luke was going to be like you know you're safe on holy ground none of us will violate that rule i'm just glad that luke didn't pretend to be a crippled old man and offer her some stew yeah, do the Yoda thing. Yeah, I was so fucking ready for that to happen. Like, she would come up to the hut on top of the big hill. And Luke would be in blackface or something. Like, nope, no Luke Skywalker here. Yeah, so... I like the end scene. The only thing I don't like about it, besides that helicopter camera shot, is... You know, once again, it's setting up... It's not... This is not a self-contained movie like the first Star Wars movie was. Mm-hmm. That, again, J.J. does this thing where he asks questions or puts mysteries in front of you and then doesn't answer them specifically to make you come back for the next episode. Hey, now, wait a minute. What, wasn't he involved in the TV series? What was the name of that? Lost. Can't find it? Oh, Lost. That was that was what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, he's basically been doing the Lost thing for everything he's made. And so, overall, I guess... I would say that this movie is definitely worth going to see. I think the first hour or so is like pure awesome. The rest of the movie, I mean, I guess is debatable. Even we disagree about how disappointing it was and in what ways, but I don't think this is a perfect movie by any means. In fact, by the end of it, I was a little bit disappointed when I walked out of there. And so I think that this movie on the spectrum, I would rate it as being let's say 20 percent better than revenge of the sith but it's still not to the level of quality that you'd expect in from original trilogy i think the movie is uh overall i'd give it a a b b minus if yeah the movie had not included the strange motivations of kylo ren if he had maintained his mysterious bad guy thing like darth vader did i think it would have been a better film that's really what killed it for me. The final battle shit and like the goofy independence day flying, like, okay, whatever. It's 2015. I realize people aren't going to be entertained by things that aren't flashy and fast anymore, but just having your villain get these instructions like, Hey, kill your dad. Okay. Help me, grandpa. A girl read my mind. What do I do? I got cooties now. So instead of having Kylo kill Han Solo on the bridge, like what if he had gotten out of there and they went back and gotten the Falcon and, that was how they destroyed Starkiller Base, that Han did the Independence Day thing and flew into the beam as it was forming or whatever. It's like, boys, I'm back. <laughs> that would have worked. It also would have worked, I think, if Kylo Ren was not somehow mentally challenged, if he had been like, yeah, of course I'll come back with you, Dad. Absolutely. I'm real sorry. Kylo Ren is now in the midst of all the rebel leaders. What happens next? I don't know. Yeah. So that was what killed it for me. It's just like your your villain's motivation is revealed and it's that he just wants to be evil. He wants to be bad like Grandpa. Yeah, it's, yeah he needed, you're right. He needed a much stronger motivation in this movie besides just wanting to be evil. Or I like the evil. I feel the light inside. Help me. Being as badass as his grandfather because in Star Wars, Vader had a pretty clear motivation. He wanted to find those Death Star plans yeah. and destroy the Rebellion. He's the emperor's, like, 
guy. He's the Emperor's right-hand man. The Emperor wants something done. You send Darth Vader. Yeah, Kylo Ren, he seems like he's just kind of, I guess, uh, transplanted onto this Starkiller base as, like, he's got command over things, but Hux seems to uh, quietly resent his presence there. Like, you know, what is this guy doing here? I think Hux outranks him. Yes. Yeah. I, I always thought that it was just, like, you know, he is there because that's where the First Order is, and that's where Snoke is, and he wants to be bad. So he wants, he's just, it seems like he's playing the part of being an evil person. Like he's trying super duper hard, like a goth kid in high school. And I yeah. just think that if it's, he's going to be your primary point of contact with villainy, then it needs to be something beyond that. So that's ultimately what disappointed me. I was pretty cool with the rest of the movie, especially the first. 60%, 65 66%. I thought it was great. I think the big downfall, and this is more of a criticism of JJ and the studio, is that they went and made a safe picture. They made a very safe movie instead of really trying to do something different. Mm-hmm. They made the safe Star Wars movie, with, and they, they did what JJ has become very skilled at doing by virtue of working on Star Trek, like tugging at your nostalgia... Mm-hmm. and manipulating your nostalgia and using that to make you think that the movie is better than it is. Well, I have news for you. Much like uh, Yoda and Obi-Wan's conversation, there is another. So there's still hope. Yes. Directed by... Um, Ryan Johnson. Who said it's going to be weird. He promised it's going to be weird. Yeah, I know. And I, I, I think that if they let up and let him do his job that he will produce a very different Star Wars movie, which is what we need to see. Because the, say what you will about the prequels, and we've said a lot, but one thing you cannot say is that they were not original. I mean, George Lucas took Star Wars in a completely different direction with that, and those he really experimented quite a bit, and a lot of those experiments didn't work out very well, but they were very different, as opposed to Force Awakens, which was just recycling Mm-hmm. which J.J. is very good at. I mean, he doesn't... I mean, my criticism of this guy is he does not do original work. He just does impressions of other people's work. I think that's pretty apparent. Yeah. I mean, he's done his Spielberg impression. Now he's doing his George Lucas impression. He did his Star Trek impression. Well, I guess... And I think Disney was, you know, to his credit too, not to interrupt you, but... You know, to his credit, I think that whatever he may have wanted to do or not, Disney was standing over his shoulder the whole time watching him because they just have too much riding on this to make a to take a risk. I was going to say, I guess it's what you get, though, when this goes from being something that was originally small and held individually to something that's owned by, you know, the number one media empire on the planet. Like, yeah. It's more about, you know, instead of doing crazy ideas that haven't, or combining ideas in different ways, it becomes more about like, okay, what's our return on investment on this movie going to be? Well, they're taking their, their late game stage two Marvel playbook here. Yeah. Because they've, they've got the established characters. So now the Avengers movies are the safe pictures that have shit people like people will go, oh, I know who that is. And then the Guardians of the Galaxy type movies are the ones where you do different shit. So the Star Wars anthology movies are probably going to have a more 
a, a wider array of different looks on what's going on. I think that the, the main thrust movies here are going to kind of continue on this quasi safer path. You think so? Yeah. That I, I can see that happening because like rogue one, probably going to be a smaller movie than force awakens just mm-hmm. because, but the yeah. story's going to be pretty different. I, I assume because it's something we've not seen before, although it takes place during the original trilogy time period. I just, I just wish that, you know, they, they had taken a little more, taken a little more risk with this. Yeah. One. yeah. I, I think it would have been a stronger movie if JJ didn't <clears throat> feel the need to borrow so much or to follow so closely from what had gone on before. But even if we had, that really still wouldn't have solved the couple central problems I have the movie, which are the First Order and Snoke, stupid, makes no sense. And Kylo Ren's motivation, like, if your your key villain doesn't have a good motivation, like, it doesn't matter how many risks you take, because Darth Vader's motivation was never discussed beyond he does the Emperor's bidding. Right. And I think the best villains are always the ones that also, in addition to having a clear objective they believe that they're right and that Mm. they're actually the hero of their own story and in the beginning at least like it's it's fine if you have doubt like darth vader has doubts that start to creep in very obviously in return of the jedi where luke's like oh no we can overthrow and darth vader's like it's too late you shouldn't have come back that was really dumb and then ultimately the light inside wins out at the very end whereas kylo ren seems to be at that point here Already, like he is this close to changing sides again. Already, so like, what's the dramatic tension going to be later? Like now, he's really close. Yes. Now he's really, really close. Like he almost did it, or he's good for one scene, and he's bad again. I always think of like Palpatine in the the prequel trilogy. Yeah, very clear motivation. Clearly believes be- that he is the hero of his own story because he is bringing the Sith back from extinction to become the ultimate power in the universe after a thousand years of hiding in the shadows, essentially. And he fucking loves it. Right. And he's basically this evil reptile guy who his whole point is he's evil. And he has a great time doing it. Even Anakin in Revenge of the Sith, I mean, he does have a clear motivation for seeking power. He wants to save his wife from death because he thinks she's going to die and he gets it it spirals out of his control from there kyle ren you're right don't really understand he seems like a stooge throughout most of the first half of the movie doing the bidding and then right which is fine i mean yeah if he's going to be a stooge like maybe general hux and supreme leader snoke are manipulating this dumb kid who has his special ability yeah, he's a good stooge in the first half of the movie. I, you know, we said that he's he's a good character in the first half, and then he devolves into the emo kid stuff. Help me be evil, Grandpa. Yes. So, I wish they had taken more risks. That's that's all I've got to say about it. I probably won't go into the theaters and see it again, but we'll probably watch it again once it comes out. Yeah, I'd say go see it in the theater. Give it a week or two, though. Let the kids go back to school. Let uh, people's you know popcorn budget burn up it's worth seeing it in the theater just don't go in there expecting to see something that's super new or in a different direction it's to a fault very loyal to the original trilogy yes you'll have nostalgia because you've seen pretty much every scene in the movie before yeah 
which is, you know, good and bad, but doesn't always work out. Uh, that was our opinion on it. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. If you didn't already see the movie and you listened to this whole thing, why? But I guess you saved yourself the 550 plus on the ticket. So good job. You were warned. You were warned. You were warned. And we'll be back next week with Justin, who couldn't be here because he was consulting his grandfather's melted mask and how to be a more evil software programmer.